0: Grace, mercy, and peace be with you from God, our Father, and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Then one of the elders addressed me, saying, Who are these clothed in white robes, and from where have they come? And I said to him, Sir, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Years ago, when I served in Houston, Texas, I was invited to a church conference with a whole bunch of speakers from all across the United States. One of them was a very famous church planter from California who had planted very large congregations in several places. And he talked about as an Asian man being back overseas and talking with someone in Hong Kong that he knew. And he asked him, why are you still a Buddhist?" been sharing Christianity with you all these years. You have heard the gospel. You know there are a great many churches around here. What is it that is still causing a stumbling block between you and the Christian faith? And he said, well, it's quite simple. When I see a Buddhist monk dressed in their robes and the way they act and the way they pray, I see a holy man. And when I see a Protestant pastor in a business suit and tie, I see a businessman. You see the difference between the two? And it really caused me to think about what people see when they look at us. Now, today is All Saints Sunday. We could translate that as All Holy Ones Sunday. And so a very good question to ask you and I, the holy men and women of God, what do holy men And holy women look like? When the world looks at us, do they see holy men and women or do they see something else altogether? To help us reflect on that, I'm going to share again very briefly a story I've shared many times, but it's one that's truly profound and will help us get at the heart of this question. It was told to me years ago by another pastor, a Lutheran pastor in Washington, D.C. when I lived there. And he had been on a holy land journey. And at the end of the trip, he rented a car and was driving around. And sure enough, the car ended up en pan, in trouble. And he had to take it to a mechanic. And the mechanic spoke a little bit of English, but mostly Hebrew. Now, fortunately, this pastor had retained the biblical Hebrew that he'd learned in seminary. So he was still able to talk with the mechanic, but he had to leave the car there for a while. And when he came back, the mechanic took him in the back and turned on the car and made him listen to the work that he had done. And then he pointed at the engine and said, see, now the engine is righteous. It's sedek. That's the Hebrew word for righteous. And, of course, as a pastor, he's like, whoa, I never thought of righteousness that way. But the word sedek, the word righteous, the thing that makes us holy is everything working together exactly as it should. The belts are fixed. They are pulling the gears in the right direction. The transmission is engaging. The pistons are all firing. The, everything is exactly in working order. The engine, it's setic; It's righteous. The car, you might even go so far as to say, is holy. It's sainted. Does that help you get to the heart of what it means to be unholy? What it means to be unrighteous. It means things aren't working the way they ought to. It means the parts aren't meshing together. The gears are missing teeth. Or they're not meshing properly. The pistons aren't firing. The battery is dead. The alternator is disconnected. The car is just not driving well or perhaps not even driving at all. Now, usually when we think of holiness or righteousness, we think of ourselves. And there's some truth to that. Jesus came to deliver us from our own personal unseticness, unholiness, unrighteousness. But on all saints, plural Sunday, it's good to recognize the unsaintliness of humanity as a whole. We do not work well together. We do not play together as we ought. There is more often than not strife in the world than there is peace. We always seem to find ways to go to war with one another, either war writ large with tanks and planes, or even the petty little wars that happen between cubicles in the office and even sometimes between Christians in the church. There's an unrighteousness that needs to be made right, that needs justice. To adjust something is to make it tzedek, to make it righteous, to take that which is unholy and make it holy. Satan, you see, is at work in us, Not only to cause us to individually sin and do those things that God says are bad, but to do those things that would drive us apart from one another. Turn us on each other so that we cannot work together righteously. Or even when we do work together, like was the case at the Tower of Babel, we do it to horrible, sometimes truly even evil ends. Look at the animal kingdom a pride of lions, a wolf pack, a herd of caribou or elk, a school of fish even. They are coordinated. They work and fight and play together as one. And even our best sports teams struggle for that degree of cooperation. And when they do, we're amazed. Like, look at that team. They're playing as if they are one. That was how things were meant to be at the beginning. And that brothers and sisters in Christ, is what holiness looks like. It's what righteousness looks like. Holiness and righteousness is less about the actual clothes that you wear or the way you put your hair. It's how we act. It's what we do. And we don't act like wolves or lions or elk or caribou or fish when we're together. And Jesus says we can't. It's precisely why he's come. We mock those who are meek, the ones who are supposedly going to inherit the earth. We don't know what to say to those who are mourning. Well, my sympathies are with you. Deb and I just listened to a podcast on the way back from Ohio where a man is grieving the loss of his wife, and after eight months, he is constantly hearing the refrain, get over it, move on, mostly because we don't know how to deal with people that are mourning. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness don't get bigger paychecks, and they don't get promoted. Our robes, frankly, are brown, And gray and black. Hardly the white that Jesus wants to be. But we can wash them in the blood of the Lamb. And Jesus does wash our robes, yours and mine, working within us to make us tzedek, to make us righteous, to make us holy. That is God's constant and continual work in you and I. When he breathed out the spirit from the cross, it was precisely to continue his work of taking people that could not work together and making them as one. Jesus continually washes our robes, but like laundry, they keep getting stained. We squirt mustard and ketchup on each other's robes. And there we are with dirty robes one more time. So how do holy people act when they keep getting dirt? on their nice, clean clothes. They wash them again in the gospel, and again, and again, and again. What makes us holy in the world now is not that we work together perfectly. It's not that we are that perfect Cetic engine. It's that when we realize in those moments that the engine is not working rightly, that we are not like the wolf pack, and the pride of lions, and the herd of caribou, that we go back to the foot of the cross and realize Jesus has forgiven us, and so we can forgive one another. What makes us holy and marks us out as different from the world is that we can look each other in the eye and say, I forgive you, and can ask each other to forgive us, It is not surprising that at the heart of the very short prayer that Jesus taught us to pray are those words Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And in so doing, demonstrate true holiness. We are not perfect. What makes us holy in this life is that we are repentant. That is holiness. That is sainthood. And it is remarkable in the world. And more than any long Buddhist robes, it marks us out as different. You want the proof of that? A few years ago, there was a mass shooting at Emmanuel an African Methodist Episcopal Church in Charleston, South Carolina. Nine Christians in Bible study were shot dead by a man who wanted to kill them only because of the color of their skin. Members of that church showed up at the trial for the shooter and told him that they forgave him. I was reminded of this this week listening to another podcast where somebody was saying that they had an atheist friend. Who didn't believe in God, but said when he heard what had happened in that courtroom, he said something divine was happening there. Something ascetic, something holy. There were saints there because he didn't know how else somebody could stand up and say to somebody who had committed such an atrocious act that they forgave them. Last Sunday was Reformation. I trust you had a good Reformation celebration. Reformation started with the 95 Theses being nailed up to the church wall in Wittenberg. Church door, pardon me. Luther thought he would start a debate. Instead, he started a revolution. Sometimes there are unintended consequences of our actions. Luther was hardly a saint. He had many issues, as do you and I. But he started those 95 Theses with a simple statement that most of us don't even remember, but we should. When our Lord and Master Jesus Christ said, repent, he willed the entire life of believers to be one of repentance. That's what it means to be a holy one. That's what it means to be a saint. It is to be one who is able to say, please forgive me and one who is able to say, I forgive you. And all because of what Jesus has done for us in forgiving us first, for calling us children of God, for washing our robes white. What makes holy people is not the clothes we wear out in the world, but the way we act in showing grace. In the name of Jesus Christ,